Hear God's promise of hope in Isaiah 2, 1 through 4. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. The epistle reading comes from Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, is you, besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling or in jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand. We'll sing this adoration song to the king, shout to the Lord, and if you haven't noticed already, you'll find that there's an insert in case you want to follow along with the music. Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. All of my days I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love. My comfort, my shelter, tower of refuge and strength. Let every breath, all that I am, never cease to worship you. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to the King. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of your name. I sing for joy at the work of your hands, 
forever I'll love you, forever I'll stand. Nothing compares to the promise I have in you. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. All of my days I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love. My comfort, my shelter, tower of refuge and strength, let every breath, all that I am, Never cease to worship you. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to the King. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of your name. I sing for joy at the work of your hands. Forever I'll love you, forever I'll stand. Nothing compares to the promise I have with you. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 24th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this. That if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, in the name of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, hear the words of Jesus from the Gospel of St. Luke, where he writes, The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, My master has taken a long time in coming, and then he begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of, 
and he'll cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. This is our text. Please be seated. Oh, the numerous blessings that we have received from our Lord. Adopted into the family of God, we're the benefactors of our Heavenly Father's everlasting love. Pronounced as saints, we're completely and totally forgiven of all of our sins because of Jesus Christ. Enlisted as Christ's soldiers, God arms us with all the weapons that we need as we do battle with Satan and our own sinful flesh. And appointed as ambassadors of the King of Kings, we're privileged to represent Christ the King and to share his pronouncements with other people. And today, as we continue our theme, The Real You, we're reminded that we are all managers, managers of the treasures and the gifts of God. What a blessing God has bestowed upon us. Managers of God, of his treasures. That's the real you and that's the real me. Now everyone, whether they're a disciple of Jesus Christ or not, is a manager of something. Even young children are trained to manage, for instance, their toys. Or they'll be taken away. They're trained to manage their emotions, or they'll have a timeout. They're taught how to manage their hygiene as they're potty trained and learn to brush their teeth. And they also are trained as to how to eat. Don't throw your food on the floor. You see, as we go through life, we are constantly trained to be managers. And as we add years to our life, we have increased managerial responsibilities. Young people learn to manage their studies, their work life, their appetites, their time, their relationships. And the managerial load increases even more so as time goes on, for some of us get married, some of us have children, some of us remain single, Some of us have home responsibilities or certainly rental responsibilities. We have home repairs that need to be done. There's employment, there's investments, there's personal hygiene and health, and then there's the caring of our parents, and so on and so forth. As Christians, we have these responsibilities and we manage them according to the will of God, according to our Christian faith. But there's also additional responsibilities given to us as God's managers that are not given to other people, to non-Christians. And we'll address those, some of those responsibilities in a few moments. But first we want to take a look at the text that I just read to you. As we look at the sermon text, we see that Jesus' appointment 
of us into a managerial position is not one that we should really decline. When our master puts us in charge of his possessions, we can't really say to him, well, thank you, Lord, for that wonderful opportunity and privilege, but I have many other opportunities and matters that I need to take care of. I have other interests that are filling my agenda. No, when Jesus gives his managers an assignment, it's more like, Lord, I'm not worthy of this, but thank you very much for this opportunity to serve you and to be able to maintain that which you have given to me. Jesus also expects us to be faithful in managing all his possessions, and he expects us to be fair in our dealings with other people. In the parable, the manager was given to beating the other servants and prone to indulge in fermented beverages excessively. And then the master returns, and when he returns, he finds the manager being irresponsible, and he's not pleased. In the strongest and maybe even perhaps shocking language, we're told that the master will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. These words are shocking, aren't they? And if they don't wake us up to the gravity and the importance of being Jesus' managers, then I don't know what will. The third thing that we learn in this text is that what you fail to manage will manage you. For example, just from life, an example from life, compounding interest. If we manage compound interest well, our investments will grow. If we don't manage compound interest very well, and we have, say, for example, a colossal credit card debt, the compounding interest will soon be mastering us, won't it? This past week, I was watching a local news station, and a young reporter was covering Black Friday shopping. And she was at the local business, and she said, the more you shop today on this, good, on this Black Friday, the more you'll save. Now, just think about that one for a moment. One wonders who's managing who. In the parable that Jesus tells us, the manager fails to manage time as the master delays his return. The manager becomes reckless in his living choices. He begins to think and to act as though his master's possessions, including the other servants, are his very own. And his irritation with the fact that the master has not yet returned kind of turns into rage, and he takes out his rage on the other servants. Maybe you've had this similar kind of experience. You know, where your anger turns into rage. I mean, you've maybe had the experience where a serviceman tells you that he'll be at your place at 10 a.m. to fix something. And then it's 10.10, still not there. 10.20, still not there. 10.40, still not there. 11 o'clock, still not there. Noon, still not there. And as the time goes on, what do you find happening? 
you find that you become irritated, don't you? And that irritation turns into rage. And sometimes even as it turns into rage, you then find yourself preoccupied with other activities. You think, well, he's never going to come anyways. And so the next thing you know, you're doing all kinds of other things. And then maybe he will show up. Jesus' tardy return can have a similar impact on us, his managers. I mean, it's been a couple thousand years, hasn't it, since he's been here. There's been wars and rumors of wars and there's been all kinds of earthquakes and hurricanes and all of these things over the years that are signs of his coming. I mean, it's been 2,000 years. I don't think he's going to come anytime soon. And we might even find that we become a little irritated with Christ that has taken him so long in coming for us. Or we might certainly, maybe more of the reactions, we become just kind of indifferent. Indifferent, like, well, he's not coming, so I'm going to get on with life. In this text and in the epistle lesson that Jason read to us, we hear, we hear these warnings, and this is specifically from the epistle lesson. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. As Jesus delays his return, or seemingly delays his return, Paul encourages us to stay awake, to wake up, to be vigilant, to be ready, for the night is nearly over, the day is almost here. You see, there's a sense of urgency in the words that Paul speaks to the Roman Christians. There's an urgency to the managerial work that we do, urgency to our own spiritual life, like not to become lackadaisical about growing in our faith and our life, but actually to, to see his delay in coming as an opportunity for us to grow and to develop the faith that he has given to us in holy baptism, to be diligent in the study and the reading of God's word, which I'll speak about in a little bit later. There's an urgency to going out and doing the Lord's work, for there's only so much time before he will return again, as we heard in the gospel lesson. No one knows that day or hour, but it's coming. And in the meantime, he sends us out into the highways and the byways, into our, into our schools and so on and so forth, to, to get other people prepared for the coming of the Lord. You see, managing all of the master's possessions is to be of first importance to us. The fourth thing that we see in our text is that Jesus has high expectations and demands of the managers who know his will. In the words of our text, it says, those entrusted with much, much more will be expected. Now, this, these words of Jesus do not give us reason to then logically think, well, if I don't know as much about the Lord's will as, as he would like for me, then he won't hold me quite as responsible for not knowing it. No, actually, the opposite is true. Actually, the opposite is expected. Because the master has assigned us such responsibilities and has given to us such wonderful possessions and treasures, he has set the bar high for us. And we're to diligently work with all of our fortitude to achieve his expectations and to satisfy his demands. And so he gives us much to manage. Schooling, employment, friendships, married life, children, home care, employment, investments, 
how we use our time, our health, our hygiene, our parents. These are responsibilities that he gives to all people. But he gives them to us too as his followers. And we're to manage them not according to the ways of the world, but according to the ways of God, which we learn and read about in Holy Scripture. And that leads me now to one of the unique things that God gives us as his managers to, to manage. He gives to you and me the privilege of managing his word and his sacraments. As you're well aware, the word of God is a sacred treasure that God has entrusted to us. The word of God is that which makes us conscious of our sin against God and it unmasks the sickness of sin that deadens and corrupts us. The Word of God, though, also reveals God's love for us. And it tells us the story of His love for us in Jesus Christ, who came down from heaven and became incarnate, made flesh, so that He might suffer and die for us. It's this Word of God that reveals to us that this Jesus not only lived a perfect life on earth, but He died on a cross and then He rose from the dead and He ascended into the heavens where He continues to rule and reign until He comes again in glory. And then we will all see Him with our very own eyes. And it's this Word of God that regenerates our lifeless soul. As St. Peter reminds us, For you have been born again, not of, of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. And it's this Word of God that shuts the door of heaven to some and opens the door of heaven to others. It's the Word of God that prevents people from stumbling and falling into life's messes. And it's the Word of God that which, that which is, rejuvenates and refreshes us. As Paul says to Timothy, the Word of God rebukes us, it corrects us, it trains us in righteousness so that we're equipped for every good, for every good work. And so the Word of God is so very precious that Jesus even warns us as his managers, do not add anything to the Word of God and do not take anything from the Word of God, for if you do, you're, you are guilty and that person will not share in the tree of life. And so as responsible managers, we're to preserve and declare the truth of God's word. Will this make us popular? Probably not. Probably not with those who want to cancel God's word because it doesn't sit well with their own personal choices and desired perspectives of life. But sometimes being Christ's manager means we have to do what is right, not always what is fashionable or cheek. The Word of God, though, is not only to be preserved in its truth and its purity, but it's also to be spoken by God's managers. It's meant to be shared liberally with other people. You see, the danger for some managers of God's Word is that we treat God's Word like a museum piece, a religious relic, and it's displayed in, in a protected showcase. Now, managers of God's Word are to share it in the nitty and gritty of life. That's why the Bible says, teach everything I've taught you. Be prepared to give an account of the hope that is within you whenever you are asked to give an account of that hope. Impress the word on your children, it says in the Bible. Talk about the word and apply it to life when you sit at home, when you're driving along in your car, as you're hiking in the forest, when you're dining at the table with your family and your friends. 
You see, the word of God is to be spoken in the halls of government. It's to be spoken in the workplace, in the hospitals, the funeral homes. It's to be spoken in the beer taverns. It's to be spoken in abortion clinics and in pregnancy care centers. It's to be spoken in the, on the hotlines for the emotionally distressed. It's to be spoken for those who are being abused. It's to be spoken in the hockey arenas, in the soccer fields, in the dance halls. It's to be spoken everywhere. Such responsibility and use of God's word then means that God's managers are students of God's word for their own continued spiritual growth and development. You know, a manager can't really manage well something which he or she doesn't know and hasn't actually experienced firsthand themselves. And so a manager, you and I, need to continually train ourselves in developing our skills in the use of God's word. Stories told of Johnny. There's always kinds of, all kinds of stories told about Johnny. But Johnny, Johnny, in this case, fell asleep. And he had been doing all the delay tactics that he could to try to stay awake as long as possible. He didn't want to go to bed. But now his mother finally had Johnny in bed. It was as though he were asleep. He was asleep. And now she could relax in her lazy boy chair with her feet up, a cup of hot tea in one hand and a book in the other. And the tranquility of that moment lasted but a second. For then she heard thump on the floor above her. And so she rushed up the stairs and she ran into Johnny's bedroom and she found Johnny lying on the floor. What happened? she asked. And Johnny groggily said, I fell out of bed because I stayed too close to where I got in. Many followers of Jesus Christ have that same problem. They stay too close to where they got in. Instead of moving closer into the Lord and walking in the newness of life that is theirs in Christ. That way of life is, is a newness of life. That is, that is a, it's a way for us to be snuggled in closely to the center of the bed, if you will, by snuggling up with the Word of God daily, by engaging with that Word in Bible study with other Christians, by praying that very Word. And you see, that's what dependable managers do. They continually work at improving their managerial skills by studying God's Word and putting those skills into practice as they serve as Jesus' managers. And that leads me then to the second thing that is unique to us, the second responsibility unique to us, and that is our worship and prayer life. Our whole life is seen as worship as we serve the Lord in our various vocations. St. Paul says we offer ourselves up as living sacrifices to God. And so the faithful fulfillment of our vocations, the things that we're called to do day by day, are actually acts of worship. And we see them as acts of worship. It's not merely a job that God sends us to, but he sends us to a place where we can worship God through the job that we do there. Our schools are places of worship, if you will, where we can go and we worship God by being a diligent student. All of our calling is that way. 
And so we see all of life as an opportunity to offer ourselves up to our Lord in service to Him. But you and I also know the need for us to carve out some time in our life to spend some quiet time with the Lord, to get focused in on His Word so that He can speak to us personally, where we need and want to speak to Him privately in prayer, where we offer up to our God prayers of adoration, where we confess to Him heartfelt our own sin and our need for a Savior, where we give thanks to God for the countless blessings that He has given to us, and then where we pray and intercede on behalf of others who we know who are in need of His presence and healing in their lives. Yes, all of us need these moments throughout the week to be restored and refreshed and renewed in our faith. And this is something that makes us very unique and different from other people in the world. But we also see the need for us to gather together in this house of worship on a regular basis so that we can be fed and nourished by God as He comes to us through His Word and the sacraments and speaks His Word of absolution to us, as He strengthens us in our faith, as He reminds us of who we really are. Because we can become so confused as to who we are when we listen to the world all around us. But here He reminds us that we indeed are His adopted children, that we are saints, that we are soldiers of Christ, that we are His ambassadors and that we are managers of all that he has given to us. And then there's a third thing that he uniquely gives to each and every one of us, and that is our own God-given spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts have been given to us because, you see, we are spiritually alive. We've been spiritually reborn through the waters of holy baptism. There he not only washed away our sins, but the Holy Spirit took hold of our heart and our mind. And we now have spiritual gifts. What would your response be if I were to announce this morning we're going to have each member stand up and say your name and then identify your spiritual gifts and how you're using those gifts in service to God? Would we have a lively celebration of the giftedness and the ministry of God's people? thanking God for the unique gifts that we have and how we can use them for the good of the community around us and for the good of the community here at St. James? Or will we be uncomfortably silent, thinking Pastor Schaefer wants us to do what? But you know, as I look out over this assembly, I see a, a group of very gifted people. God has gifted us in so many ways. It's actually marvel. It's just marveling, isn't it? I mean, some of us have the gift to teach. Others of us have the gift of hospitality. Others of us have the gift of counseling. Some of us have the gift of leadership. Some of us have the gift of mercy and giving. Some of us have the gift of giving, where we just freely and joyously give abundantly to everything. Others have the gift of administration. Some of us have the gift of music and some of us have the gift of art. But we could go on and on and on about all the different giftedness of God's managers who are sitting here before me. 
And these gifts are given to us by God as entrustments, as God's investment in us in order to produce dividends in the lives of the people around us. That's why St. Peter writes, each manager should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And so, yes, you and I have all kinds of gifts given to us from God, spiritual gifts that we can use to serve our community and to serve the body of Christ for its good. Are you aware of your own unique giftedness? How are you using your God-given gifts in your home and in your workplace or in your school or community? How are you using it here at St. James? And how are you further developing these gifts so that they can be used by our Lord? Queen Mary of England often spent her time in her castle in Scotland where she loved to walk unrestricted and alone throughout the countryside. But one day as she was walking along by herself, a storm suddenly came upon her and the rain was pounding down upon her. And so she saw that there was this little cottage over in the distance. So she ran over to the cottage and she knocked on the door and a woman came to the door and didn't recognize her as the queen. But Queen Mary asked of this woman, may I borrow your umbrella, please? I'll return it tomorrow. Well, the woman wasn't quite sure what to do with this strange woman asking her for her umbrella. She didn't want to give her her new umbrella, and so she went back into the closet, and she found an old tattered umbrella, and she brought it out to Queen Mary of England and said, Here, this is the umbrella you can use. And so Queen Mary took the umbrella, and she said, Thank you very much, and she went home, and sure enough, the next day, there's a knock on the door, and this time it's the courier of the, of the queen. He has the umbrella in hand, and he has a note. A note from the queen, and the queen's note said, Thank you very much for the use of your umbrella. It is greatly appreciated. Queen Mary. Signed by Queen Mary. Well, the lady was taken aback. She said to the courier, If only I had known she was the queen, I would have given her my very best. We know Jesus. He is the King of Kings. He is deserving of our very best. Admittedly, as we look at our own lives, as I look at my own life, I realize I do not always give him my very best. I'm not always the faithful manager of God's gifts that he has given to me. And probably if you look at your own life, you would make that same conclusion. And yet the good news is, and this is the good news, the good news that we proclaim throughout the church here. The good news is that we serve a faithful and gracious and forgiving master. Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus is that perfect manager. He completely fulfilled the will of his Father. He did so by giving himself up on a cross for us. 
He did so by tasting death for us so that we might ultimately be victorious over the grave. He did so by training and equipping others while he was here on earth so that they could carry on his ministry and mission long after he had ascended into the glories of heaven. And you know what? Jesus continues to serve us. He continues to do his Father's will by feeding us in our faith, by assuring us our sins are forgiven, by equipping us with spiritual gifts so that we can serve one another, by entrusting to us all of the treasures and the possessions that he would give to us. And then he calls us and gives us the privilege of being his managers. That's the real you. And that's the real me. We're the forgiven managers of our King Jesus Christ. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding keep and guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.